0: Welcome to the Growth Moves Podcast with Rob Tyson.
1: Welcome back, listener. Rob Tyson here, and in the last episode, I talked to John Vong about four key tips for amplifying your SEO in 2021. So be sure to catch up on that if you missed it. But I'm here today with Nathan Littleton. Now, Nathan is a marketer. He's a professional speaker and an author who specializes in helping businesses to grow by attracting and winning more customers, particularly using email. Each year, he sends more than a million emails on behalf of his clients, and they range from small accountancy firms to international franchises. And today we've got a great topic for you because we're going to be talking about three pillars to win with email newsletters. But before we welcome Nathan and get into all that good stuff, if you're listening to this show, you may be a consultant, a trainer, uh, perhaps a coach of some kind struggling for the right recipe to grow your business online? Well, if you pop along to robtyson.net forward slash report, right now you can get a free copy of a brand new report that I have. And that's going to show you my rapid method for designing and selling your first online program that you can price at between two and 10k. And you'll also find in that report how our fastest client was able to do this Twice, in fact, in four days. And the funny thing was he did it without actually trying to sell at all. You will see what I mean in the report. Once again, that is free. Just go along to robtyson.net forward slash report. And inside, you will also find out why the old online course model is dead, but a twist on it works better than ever. You'll find why the key to selling more is to be an M and not a D. And you'll discover the only six technology tools you need to get started with all this. For under £25. Once again, the place to go to get all that is robtyson.net forward slash report. So go there now and get yours. And with that said, Nathan, great to have you with us.
0: Rob, great to be with you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, welcome. And uh, we were talking before we uh, hit record here. Um, and I was just saying to you, you know, I can remember if, if we went back even to the year 2000 we would find people telling us that email and things like email newsletters were finished. Well, we're, we're 20 years on from that now. Um, why do you think email has such longevity?
0: You, you're absolutely right. It is an argument that never seems to die and yet the reason people are still using it is because it's so effective. I was giving a presentation a few years ago and uh, someone someone gave me a, a question. We were inviting questions on post-it notes and someone's post-it note said email marketing is dead. And I'm not afraid to uh, find out a little bit more about that. So I asked asked the guy who asked this question a little bit more about it. And he said, well, he'd seen a piece of marketing that said that email marketing is dead and we should all be using chatbots. We should all be using these messenger bots to stay in touch with our clients and our prospects. The crux of it was I found out a little bit more about where he saw this marketing message. And would you believe it? It was the subject line of an email. So even the people who are promoting these other marketing methods are still using email because it's so effective.
1: Yeah. Even they don't, don't kind of believe it uh, sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, I, I always think of the, um you know, if people want proof of this, you know, just think about the social platforms. I mean, Facebook, what's the, what's the, the, the only thing they want from you actually is your email. Really. I mean, you can put in a false name or whatever, uh, although they discourage that, but really if you want a Facebook account, you've got to have an email, right? So that just tells you something. Um, what do you say when people say to you, Oh, come on, you know, email, I get hundreds of emails a day, maybe. How can it possibly work for me to send one more?
0: I get hundreds of emails every day and I have exactly the same mentality because most of the emails that we receive aren't of high quality. Either we shouldn't be on that list in the first place or the content that's being provided to us isn't of sufficient quality to engage us and want us to read that email as it comes in. The biggest compliment I think you can get when it comes to an email newsletter or content that you're sending out on a regular basis by email is... When someone says, yours is one of the few newsletters I actually read, because that would suggest that even though they have this preconception about email and the content that they receive, that you've broken that in some way, that you've become a part of their routine. So it it is really about creating high quality content that is relevant to your audience. And you don't get those two things to stand alone. Content has to be high quality, but if it isn't relevant to the audience, then you might as well be talking to a brick wall.
1: Sure thing. And we will talk a bit more about types of content, I think, as we go along. Um, a quick question just on email as a whole, though. I mean, you and I, I think, are both big believers in email as a as a marketing medium. And, you know, I think we'd probably both agree it should be the number one priority. Um, but we shouldn't be blind to a changing environment. There are threats. There are some downsides. Um you know, what are, what are those things we should be aware of as, as we go into to 2021? There are, you know, email uh, is great, but there are some, you know, some cons as well as pros.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. There are because email marketing has changed as well. If you think back to the year two thousand, the way that we used to send emails as marketing campaigns was very different to how we do it today. And we're now afforded the privilege, if you like, of seeing reports and analytics that will tell us a lot more information about what's working and what isn't working. But if we just continue to do the same things that we did five or ten years ago, we're always going to have uh, we're always going to fall by the wayside when it comes to other people that we're competing with. The thing I really like about email marketing, though, and the reason I think it continues to be effective, is because you have pretty good control over it. Now, we'd like it if more people opened our emails, our open rates were higher. We'd like it if more people click the links, sure. But we do have a relative amount of control. And when you compare it to the likes of Facebook or other social media, they'd certainly have their place. But I think the advantage with email is that you do have that control. Whereas when it comes to something like Facebook, they only need to change the rules. They only need to change their algorithm just a little bit. And all of a sudden your lead generation system can really shrink. And we saw this a number of years ago when people suddenly realized that the posts that they were putting on their business pages on Facebook, all of a sudden weren't being seen by people unless they created adverts that were based off them. So I think with email, although things are changing, although things are going to change again in the future as well. I like the fact we have a certain amount of control over what content goes out there and who it gets seen by.
1: Yeah, that's a good point as well. That, that Although things do change in the email world, because there's no one company controlling it all, it's not this kind of night and day, click your fingers, suddenly you're, no one's seeing your Facebook posts anymore. So we're not, we're not vulnerable in that way. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. So let's get into these three pillars then, Nathan. Um, what would you say is the, is the first one that we want to think about?
0: Sure. The the three pillars that I created really came about because I was trying to understand why email marketing wasn't working for some people. And I don't know whether it's just the way my mind works, but if I want to find out how something works, I need to find out what people are doing wrong to be able to reverse engineer that if you like. So the three pillars I think are based on the fact that if email marketing is to work successfully for a business, then it needs to have these three pillars in equal measure. If one of these falls down, then the strategy as a whole, will fall down as well. So the first of those, as you suggested, is to build a list, is to be building a list of people who recognize your name when it lands in their inbox. And it's that little flick of of the, uh, in their mind that says, this is an email I'd want to read, because they associate your name with high quality content, a high level of expertise. They know that what you have to tell them is going to be relevant to the challenges and the opportunities that they have in their life. So it isn't just about building a list. We could go out there and buy a list of 20,000 names and uh, send an email out there and hope that it gets a result. But actually, we can be far more effective here in building a list of people who have had a taster of our experience that we offer, the service that we offer and our expertise, and that they look forward to receiving your emails, that they're likely to click it and more likely to click it than they are to just delete it or let it fall by the wayside.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah, really good. And I think it's probably worth making that point because I always take this for granted, but you know, you do run into people and when you say to them, oh, well, you know, you know, you're building the list and they kind of think what that means is you go and find some data or buy some data and just kind of add people to your database. And that's not really what we're talking about, is it? I mean, we're primarily what we're saying is you, you want to build an opt-in list where people have of their own free will joined your list, right? I mean, that's it's generally the way we want
0: to go. Yeah, that's it. And there are even some smart email marketers who think, well, perhaps the quickest way would be to go out to another organization or an association that already has a list and maybe we could market to, to them. So you do sometimes see this where you could partner with another business. You say, I'll borrow your list for one email. I'll send an email out to it and I'll promote my product or service. Maybe they get a kickback or maybe you uh, flip that round so that they can do the same for yours. And for some reason, people are surprised why that doesn't work. Actually, the more effective thing to do there would be for the person who has the authority and the credibility with that list to send a message that endorses your product. That's always going to get a much higher, a much better result than it is if you send a message to someone else's list because they don't recognise your name.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. So it's it's the difference between me saying, "Oh, you know, check out what Nathan's doing. He's a really good guy" to my people, versus you know, you just appearing in in the inbox and everyone's like, "Well." Who is, this? Who is this guy, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and in terms of building that list, I mean, what's your view on what we would call a lead magnet? So having some kind of value-added incentive to get people to opt in, is that an approach you like? Is it necessary? Is it optimal?
0: I'm, I'm a huge advocate of lead magnets, and it isn't just because it's an effective way of of building a list. It's because it's also a really effective way of giving someone a taster and a test drive of your expertise and the products and services that you offer. So if we want to build our credibility enough that we are able to build a list of people who recognize our name when it lands in their inbox, we need to give them some kind of experience that shows them that we are credible. I mean, it seems obvious, doesn't it? But so often this gets missed. So yeah, we need to give people an incentive for joining our list. And that can come in the form of a lead magnet, whether that be an ebook, an audio download, an online course, something like that. Or let's not underestimate that it could just be the value that you are portraying about the the content of the emails that you're sending on a regular basis. So it isn't enough to just say, sign up to my newsletter. You could offer a lead magnet in return, or what you could do as well is to say, each week I send tips, advice, and regular uh, life hacks around your area of expertise. So you're demonstrating the credibility and the value that comes from the emails you're sending because that could be enough for someone to be able to enter their email address so i'd recommend both of those systems work really really well the great thing about a lead magnet system is once you've got it working you can then replicate it tweak the content with a different header a different type of content you can continue that process again and again it works beautifully in the background and that's what we want here
1: yeah and and as you say you could have over a period of time you could build up Many different lead magnets, right, that speak to a different segment of the market that you want to attract.
0: And for the products and services that you want to sell, too. The lead magnet that you create has to be a taster of the product that you want to sell. So for me, one of my highest performing lead magnets is around subject lines, 20 best subject lines. There'd be no point in me offering that and then leading people through to a coaching program on how to use telemarketing effectively. The the, the two things just don't join up. And that might seem obvious, but I've seen some crazy funnels where it just doesn't make any sense where something leads from the top to the bottom. But the best advice I could give around building a lead magnet is ask the question, first of all, of your audience, what are the challenges and opportunities that they have right now that your lead magnet could provide a small solution to? not expecting your 10 page ebook to suddenly change people's lives and and make them millionaires but if it can give them the early first step that helps them to see that you can make a difference that's where a lead magnet is effective
1: love it yeah so just a single quick win may very well be enough
0: yeah it it is it is possible with a lead magnet to give too much away that's almost just as bad as the quality being poor
1: yeah and uh, briefly why is that why can you give too much away?
0: because if you give too much away let's say the content is really really high quality if you give too much away you've already given them too much to do before they can experience your paid product and service the reason we're creating a lead magnet is to build credibility build our list but ultimately to lead through to a paid product or service but if you suddenly find that someone has way too much to do from the ebook and they save that for a rainy day then they're going to stop at that very point. You want to give them something that they can implement really, really easily. So uh, it, it doesn't have to be uh, you, the broad breadth of your expertise. It just has to be one thing that they can implement really quickly, but it has to be high quality. So I'd suggest giving away one tip. Give away one thing, but make sure it's your best thing.
1: Yeah, love it. Really good, really good. Um, yeah, because as you, as you say, you know, if you give them give them too much material – it can create this analysis paralysis, right? You know, they, they're just like, gosh, you know, I've read the 20-page ebook; it looks really good and everything, but I just need to study that more. Or, gosh, this is more work than I thought. Or, this has caused me to think about something I didn't even know was an issue before. And all those things will will tend to um, distract people and lead them down the wrong route. When in reality, ideally what we want is for you to be able to engage them and, and then you can help them.
0: Exactly right. The quicker they can implement it, the better.
1: Good good stuff. Um, so you've talked a little bit about some of the ways we can build a list in terms of trying to get out to a similar audience with an endorsed mailing. That can be a good way. What are some other ways that you, that you like for us to build the list?
0: Well, if you're if, if we extend this again around lead magnets, is that you can create a system there. So if your lead magnet system consists of a landing page, that has the information about why your lead magnet is valuable. It then has an opt-in box that is followed up by a series of responders and takes people through a process where maybe at the end of it, they book a call with you or they buy a low-value product, a low-priced product. That's the, that's the system that you can then put into any form of other marketing. So we've been talking about Facebook ads. You might be speaking on stage. You might have other people's lists that you can piggyback off. You want to drive them all to your lead magnet system that has to be the starting point and I would replicate that a hundred or a thousand times if I could because we just want to carry people through that entire system and there's no reason there why you can't build a significant list but also a really high quality list just to bring us back to what we were talking about earlier with uh, paying for a list and then sending out a blanket mailing to it you can see the difference there can't you between the quality of that list compared to if you were to buy something
1: yeah sure absolutely so so What you're saying is use all the opportunities we already have when we're in touch with people in different ways. So it could be speaking engagements. Could we could be that we we put a link to our lead magnet and we describe it in our LinkedIn profile or, you know, our social profiles. But just look at these opportunities you have to push more traffic through to that lead magnet. That would be a good place to start.
0: Yeah. The the aim of building a list is to capture people who would otherwise disappear into the ether. So if you think of visitors to your website, it's asking a lot of them to be convinced about your credibility and value on the first visit. So they're either going to make an inquiry or buy a product or they're going to leave. So those people who would otherwise have left, if we can capture some of those either with a lead magnet or with a newsletter, if you can sell the value of that, we stand a chance of being able to capture a number of those people who would otherwise have left and be able to market to them on an ongoing basis. Similarly, if you're speaking on stage, the same thing would be the case. You deliver value. Some people will love you. Some people won't. Either way, they might forget about you in a few days' time. That's what we don't want. We want the opportunity to be able to stay in touch with people if they want us to stay in touch with them.
1: I like it. A quick question. So you've probably had this experience I know I have you know maybe you uh, you you might meet someone at a networking event or something you know you give someone your business card and suddenly they add you to their regular email list um now b2b wise there's nothing there's no legal um requirement re- requirement to say you can't do that but what about that practice I mean is that do you do you think that's fair enough or do you shy away from that
0: well, if it's okay, let's just ignore the legals on this for a second because I actually don't think they're relevant to this conversation, whether it's GDPR or whether it's anything else. I just think this is a common sense ethical decision around, is this someone who has agreed that I can stay in touch with them? And if we start to look at it like that, it becomes a much simpler conversation to have. If someone adds me to their list who I haven't agreed to, even in the world of email marketing as I am, I find that pretty bad practice, to be honest. Whereas actually, it doesn't mean that you can't stay in touch with people. The the better way of approaching that situation surely would be to send a message that says, hey, it was really great to meet you at XYZ event. Just wondering if you'd like to stay in touch. I do send actually a regular email every two two weeks that has tips and advice on x y and z if you'd like to receive it you could either take the approach of you can sign up here or you can say i'm going to add you to that list but look if you don't want to receive that i take no offense to it just drop me a reply back or click the unsubscribe button on the bottom and i would be more than happy to uh, to remove you that just seems like a, a much friendlier way of approaching it where you can't really have any complaints rather than a newsletter or something just coming out of the blue it, it, it makes more sense to do it that way i think
1: Yeah. Agree. Agree. So very good. So that was pillar one we've talked about, which is to to get set up to build a list and and begin to build that list. What's pillar two?
0: Pillar two is to serve your list. So that is serving your list with, educational or informative or interesting information that is relevant to their challenges and opportunities but also of course relevant to your area of expertise so this is a really important pillar because if we look at why email marketing does and doesn't work it's going to be for one of a couple of reasons i'll come on to the third pillar of course after this But one of the reasons that it doesn't work is people will build a list or they'll buy a list or whatever it might be, and they will send out straight sales messages, often badly crafted, badly worded, and have a terrible call to action at the bottom of them too. But they're sending out a straight sales message. Perhaps these people don't even know who they are, but even if they do, they probably weren't expecting to be sold to. So it makes sense if we flip it around that if we want to send a sales message, we have to build our credibility enough that we can position products and services that we want to buy, that, that we want them to buy, sorry. So by serving our list with educational information in the form of a newsletter with high quality videos, with articles, with quick tips that are relevant to the things that matter to the audience you're sending to, it then stands to reason that we would be able to recommend products and services that are related to the content that we're sending out. It just so happens that in most cases, those products and services that you're recommending are going to be yours. So if you're creating and sending out a blog post that talks about how to do something, how to take the first step, for example, in doing your own tax return if you're an accountant. If the, blog, the article that you're putting out there says, here are three things that you might like to consider when you do your tax return, it kind of makes sense then that for someone reading that and realizing that that might be far too much work or they just don't have the time to do their own tax return, that the next re- uh, product or service that could be recommended as part of that email would be the next step either to completely have it done for you or a set of templates that might make the process a whole lot easier you're recommending products and services that are relevant to the content you're sending out that's how you serve a list effectively
1: how often should we be sending these emails do you, do you think what's the what's optimal
0: uh this is going to sound like I'm wriggling out of it completely it as depends. often as you have something to say. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, let's, let's just look at this in a bit more detail here, though. Is It's going to depend on your type of business and your audience. I work with a number of dental practices. And for all the will in the world, I would love it if they sent more often. The more frequently they sent, I would get paid more because I'd be sending more emails for them. But I can't honestly recommend to my dentist clients that they should be emailing their patients more than once a month. Because I know I wouldn't want to hear from my dentist more than once a month, even with the high quality content that they're sending out. So it will depend entirely on your audience and the type of content that you're sending. But if you think if you're working in the practice of giving uh, business advice or financial advice or something like that, it makes sense that you'd be able to email more frequently, perhaps every fortnight, perhaps every week, maybe even every so often a little more frequently than that too. But it is as often as you have something to say, because it has to fit firstly with what your audience would expect to receive and what's not going to annoy them. But also it has to fit with your schedule. If you are a machine, when it comes to creating content, it might come really, really easy to you to be firing out videos and firing out blogs. But for some people that isn't the case. And for some people, they're busier. And for some people, it, it just isn't something they can do as frequently as they might like. So we have to stick a stake in the ground here and say, here's what I can do in fitting with my schedule and working with clients and the things I'm doing in my business. But also, here's how often my audience would like to receive. So that I don't wriggle out this question too much, I will give you a, a fairly straight answer in that if you're not emailing at least once a month, you're absolutely missing a trick. Because chances are, if it's taken you three months since they've last heard from you, they've probably already forgotten about you.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, You talked, of course, about providing useful information, tips, value-added stuff. Can you give too much away?
0: I think you can give too much away. But I would hazard a guess that most people who think they might be giving too much away aren't really. Because if we take the view that a good portion of what we're sending out isn't being read or isn't being fully consumed in the way we might like, actually, we're not giving a whole lot away at all. But I'd hate for someone to consider the argument that it is possible to give too much away and then think, well, I'll just give these little bits. And maybe it's the low quality stuff. Maybe it's the the things that people already know or can do really, really easily. I'm a big believer in giving away our best content because ultimately, it isn't going to be a case that they're just going to take that and run away with it. If it's high quality content, it builds your credibility and it shows them why you're really, really good. So as long as your products and services are positioned around that high quality content, then it can only be a good thing.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. What is your, what you know? what's your feeling about how we use email um, to sell or not? Because obviously we're, we're sending out stuff you know we're coming up with good content to send to people um and we 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 want to do that we want to we want people to look forward to our emails but equally it's got to have a commercial benefit for us so what to to what extent do you think that regular emails should be doing overt selling
0: Well, funnily enough, you bring us on to the third pillar. (laughs) So the third pillar is to extract the opportunities, finding the opportunities within your list for where there might be uh, the the chance to be able to make a sale, commercial opportunities within that. And it's an important thing. This is the reason we're doing it. But also, I don't think we should feel like it's a, a faux pas to be able to do so. The the number of times you can send an email and people will reply instantly saying that's a product they want to buy or they'll click the link and they'll buy the product would suggest that as long as it's done in the right way, that it can work. And I've had a a few examples of this over the years, but in particular, I had uh, someone in the audience who was a tax advisor and they were sending out a whole load of what looked very, very high quality content. But he said that his newsletter and his email marketing strategy wasn't working very well for, for him and he couldn't understand why. Now I, I see a, a load of newsletters all the time and it's not often that I can say that the, the quality of the content is really, really high and there's little that I'd improve. In this case, that, that was it. There was the, the content was excellent. It was really well designed. It was nicely put together. He clearly had a good grasp of what his audience wanted. But when you looked at it over the 12 months that he'd been sending emails, not once had he asked them to buy something. And yet he'd put all this work and effort into building his credibility, serving that list, and was getting huge amounts of replies and engagement of people who clearly thought that it was high quality content, but he'd never once asked them to buy anything. Now, I would suggest it was probably still working for him because he was still staying top of mind with that audience when they needed the services that he offered. But he had a huge opportunity there that he missed by not recommending a product or service as part of what he was sending. Something that would have made his prospects' lives much, much easier. And I think we have to stop thinking about asking for a sale as a dirty process. This is something that, we're not selling something that people don't want. As long as they see the value in the product that we're offering and it's a reasonable price that people can afford, then they'll want to buy. Because the reason we buy things is because it's going to make our business or our lives easier. So we do have to find the opportunities within our list. And to come back to the the, the question that you asked there, I think as a general principle... 80-20 is pretty good. If it's 80% educational or informative material that you're sending out, that's what earns you the right then to be able to send 20% of sales messages. And it might be that 80% of your emails are purely content focused and then you do a big push on sales campaigns 20% of the time. Or it could be that you're sending out newsletters where the top 80% or 80% on the whole is educational material and then somewhere in there is 20% as a sales message as well.
1: Yeah, I like it. I like it. So <clears throat> there will be some people listening to this and at the moment they, maybe they're a consultant and they sell kind of custom engagements with clients. Now, obviously, if we, if we have a clearly defined product, we know exactly what we're selling. And, you know, maybe that's something we, we would describe in an email. And then the call to action is very obvious. But what if I am a consultant selling custom projects, custom engagements? What is you know, what is a practical approach? You know, if we've got a list, we've been in touch with it, you know, we've built some um, credibility with people, what now is a practical step we could take to get in touch with the list and and, uh, encourage people to work with us?
0: I'd say there are two things here. Just to come back to how you serve the list in that particular case, I would be seeding stories of how you work with your clients throughout all of the educational material you're putting out there. You will have real life case studies where you don't have to say this is a case study of a time, but tell the story. Tell the story of a conversation you had with a client or a prospect. And the next thing that I consider is, you're right, if you're offering something that is bespoke, perhaps it's high ticket price, high value, it's going to be difficult for you to just invite people to contact you. So you need to find an easier way to be able to do that. One way that's worked particularly well for me recently is in the form of power calls. So giving people the opportunity to book a call into your diary that is half an hour or an hour or whatever time it might be that works for you. And it's positioned around giving them value in that time. It's another way of giving people a test drive. And it's a good way of then seeding the real product that you offer.
1: Yeah, I like it. And, um, this, uh, the, this final pillar, extract the opportunities. Now, clearly, um, some of the opportunities are then people may want to work with us. I mean, do you, do, do you, do you think that a list that you've served gives you kind of a, other opportunities to, um, develop your business?
0: Of course it can do. I don't think you can spell out enough though, within the emails you're sending all the ways that you work with clients because, it's easy to underestimate the fact that some people will have a preconceived idea about how you work with clients. And unfortunately, with the best will in the world, you're not necessarily in control of what that preconceived idea might be. So spell it out as clearly as possible. Even if it is a section at the bottom of your email that says, here are the six ways that I work with people. And those six different ways could form your value ladder. It could be the six different ways from every price point, or it could be the six types of projects that you work on. Either way, you want to make it really, really clear exactly how you work with people. But you're right, your list can form different opportunities, and that's certainly something to consider, especially when it hits a reasonable size. But it's also worth looking at as well, I think, the fact that your list is then an asset. And it doesn't matter what products or services you offer. It means that that is an asset that will live on as long as you have credibility with that audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Big time, big time. Okay. So really good. So we've talked about three pillars, uh, then Nathan. So we talked about pillar one, building a list. Pillar two is serving the list. And then pillar three is to extract the opportunities. So just before we wrap up any particular, tools you like to to help you with uh, email marketing and list building and all that stuff
0: yeah so uh, maybe i'll talk about my preferred email application so there are hundreds out there Uh, many of them have pros and cons of course my favorite is active campaign it's really good in terms of whether it be for newsletters or for advanced marketing automation as well and it comes at a lower price point than some of the other ones that are similar and similarly powerful but it's just really good to use it works really well and is just hugely powerful so active campaign is certainly the one that i'd recommend
1: yeah well plus one on that yeah i'm am a user of uh, active campaign for for a few years i really like uh, really like the software um, nathan this has been great if people just took one nugget or piece of advice away from our conversation what should that be
0: well, I'm going to take an assumption here that email marketing is new to some people. So if you've never used it before, and you maybe even feel like you don't have the time right now to be able to implement it, the first point has to be that first pillar is building a list. So the challenge really that I would would offer your audience here is what could you do to go out now to where you have an existing audience? Maybe it's on Facebook, maybe it's on LinkedIn, and invite people to join your list and hear more from you. And uh, The reason I think that is a good thing to do as a starting point is it might just give you that inspiration and that kick up the backside that's needed to get this started. But even if you don't send anything for three or four months, the fact that you're working in the background and starting to build a list means that when you send your first email campaign, whether it be a newsletter or a straight introduction email, you've got a ready-made audience there to work with.
1: Yeah, you can't start this uh, too early, can you?
0: Absolutely not, no. (laughs) Um,
1: Good, good. Now, Nathan, this has been really, really great. Where's the best place if people want to get more from you?
0: Best place would be my website, NathanLittleton.co.uk, And similar to what I mentioned earlier, there is the opportunity on there to book a power call. So I'll answer your questions for 20 minutes and let's just have a chat and shoot the breeze.
1: Excellent. Nathan, thank you so much. This has been really good. It's great. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Rob again. Want to build a successful online business from your expertise? Well, the game has changed. There are bigger opportunities, but also bigger pitfalls than ever before. And I would hate for you to waste years figuring these things out for yourself. Now, as a listener to this show, you're obviously a sensible person, right? So here's my invitation to you apply to jump on a call with me in the next few days and let's talk about you you will get feedback on your ideas you will get a product concept that is fit for right now and you will get a personalized sales and income plan to take away that is free but availability is limited so please go along right now to chatwithrob.com. that is chat with rob Com. Do that now. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Once again, that is chatwithrob.com.
0: Talk to you soon.